fall preview weekend registration is open right now. It's open to the first 100 people who register. We are capping this event at 100 people, and registration closes October 15th. Check it out on the IBC website, indianabible.college. We hope to see you there. Indiana Bible College is committed to training tomorrow's apostolic ministers today. And this is the Indiana Bible College podcast. Today on the podcast, we have Reverend Juan Lopez, the executive pastor of Calvary Tabernacle, joining us in a class, Theology of Ministry. And we sit down and ask him a number of questions that are both relevant to that group of students taking the class, but we want you to listen in because we think it's edifying for you and the whole body if you're involved in church work or have any call to the ministry at any level. So right now, let's get to it, Reverend Juan Lopez sitting down doing an interview on ministry. Uh, Pastor Lopez needs no introduction, I know, but I'll give you a brief background uh, of Brother Lopez. He did attend Indiana Bible College. And uh, I will just tell you, did any of you attend the prison to pastor last year, that talk? Okay, so most of you haven't, which is good, kind of, because we're going to post it today on the podcast. So if you want to catch the whole story that was given in that context, that gives really a lot of detail about the process from in the world to where uh, Pastor Lopez is today. So I encourage you to read that or uh, listen to that. And for that reason, I won't go into all of some of those questions today. But uh, for years, uh, the Lopez's, he and his wife led the young adults at Calvary and, of course, now executive pastor at Calvary Tabernacle. Uh, So welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Good to have you here. Um, So not going to rehash the whole, you know, what they can find on the podcast. But as I was listening to that yesterday, and it's a great great story. Uh, Do you recall what that process was like moving from I'm in a gang and now I'm like attending Bible college and I feel a call? Hmm. I do. Uh, I think what stands out the most in that for me is there was the moment where I hit what I'll call my bottom. You know, from your perspective, you'd probably think, man, like being a Addicted to drugs wasn't your bottom. It wasn't being in a gang, going to jail, juvenile, boys' school wasn't your bottom. It wasn't kicked out of your house, living in your car wasn't your bottom. No, my my bottom was when I went to jail and realized that I was facing 20 years for a crime that I know I committed, and I knew I was caught. Like there was no getting out of it. Um, the reality set in for me that the choices I'd made were now bringing me to this point where I may spend the next 20 years of my life in incarceration. And that is what made me think, okay, this is my bottom. I realize I don't want that. I don't want to live where somebody's telling me when I can get up, when I can eat, what I can eat, when to go to the shower. I don't want to spend the rest of my young years doing something like that. So it was eye-opening for me, and that gave me the place that every person has to reach. 
where you can feel like I can hear from God now, like I can <laughs> listen to God now. So that was my, my place where it was like, man. It's, that's an interesting thing by itself because I think it's critical that young people, and you even said this in your talk, that you can hear the voice of God for yourself. Mm -hmm. Can you just guide us on how that works for you, like how you know the Lord is communicating to you? Yeah, I think probably the most, the clearest way is you can feel like a peace, like God gives you a peace. Um, most of the time, if we're being sensitive to it um, and we're trying to seek His face, God does not leave us in a place of confusion. Big decisions, large decisions that are going to impact your life, your trajectory, God will give you peace to know what that next step is. Um, it's up to us though, right? If we're going to listen to that or if we'll allow external voices to kind of drown that out, it's easy to do. It's really easy to do. It's easy to often let good external voices, people you trust, people you love, to somehow assume the role that God wants to have in your life when He's trying to speak to you directly. Listen to people you love and trust, but you need to rely on God. Nobody, the five-fold ministry, whether you're an evangelist, apostle, teacher, prophet, pastor, those are gifts to the body. God uses them to be a blessing to the body. They don't take His place as the only form of communication to you. Nobody can guide you and speak to you like the Lord can. Maybe a fine time for me to just insert that Pastor Lopez has helped me a lot through the years and been a, a help and a mentor to me. And one thing that I've, I've heard from you as you've gone through making decisions is there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors, yes. But the statement that you made was that doesn't mean any one of those counselors has the right answer. Uh, and this was your words to me, you just said, but it means that you take that counsel and then you lean on God and make that decision. Absolutely. Now, in the prison to pastor story that you shared, you shared some about the process of developing as a Christian, as a minister, as a professional. And this is a quote from that, that talk that you gave. You said, both sides, my career and my ministry was helping me to be better in Christ, end quote. Um, I think it's intuitive for all of us as Bible college students and ministers. We, we know that spiritual development is part of what we're trying to do, but can you speak to even that secular career and how some of that shaped who you are? Yeah. The, uh, we don't want to lose sight of everything that we experience in life shapes who we are. You know, sometimes you experience something and it's instant. You know that that is impacting you like, like a lightning bolt hitting a tree. Instant. You can see it. You can feel it. You know it. Other times it's like a stream flowing through a canyon. You don't see the impact it's making from day to day. But over time, it shapes the landscape of, of that canyon. And so... In life, we just have to know that everything that we're going through, whether it's on the job, whether it's in church and ministry, is shaping us, and we have to be open to paying attention to that. Um, one thing, when I went to Bible college, I started off, I was in work release, 
which means I lived in jail and was released daily to go to work and released daily to go to school. Um, you can imagine I couldn't find a great job that fit my schedule, let alone the fact that I was a felon wearing an electronic monitoring device. So I started laboring it for a roofing crew. And uh, I, what I didn't understand, I hated the hard work. Um, I hated the fact we were in the sun. I was afraid of heights and we'd have to carry bundles of shingles up the ladders to one and two story roofs. And, and that part aggravated me. But in that crew, these guys, when, when they wasn't working, they were taking a break and they were smoking weed on the side of the house we were working on or on the roof because they wasn't around anybody. They all cussed like sailors, man. Every word was a cuss word. And, and they were fighters. And so they're always arguing, always fighting. It was just a really rough environment. And I remember thinking, God, like, why would I be placed right here right now when these are all the things you just brought me out of? It doesn't make sense to me. I didn't get it then. But I only spent two months there, and then I felt like, okay, God opened a door for a much better job. What I learned from that, though, is that if I want to become the person God designed me to be, it's going to be a lot of hard work. And it's not going to be like I'm in this perfect place surrounded by perfect people, and everybody's in my corner cheering me on, trying to encourage me. Life doesn't work that way. So I had to come to grips with the fact that Living how I used to live wasn't the right way, but living for God wasn't going to be easy, and it was going to take a lot of work to accomplish what He wanted me to accomplish. And so I just think from the career side, from, from that point of not even having a career to moving into a, a, a career that a ninth grade dropout and a convicted felon should never have. It was just like God opening doors, and as I worked in the career field after Bible college. God allowed me to be in positions where I learned from great leaders how to treat people, um, how to lead people, how to develop people. Uh, I learned in the secular world what it was like to have big vision, big goals, and then to have all of these processes that create the trajectory to get you there. Um, I didn't learn that in Bible college. I learned a lot of valuable things here, but I learned a lot of valuable things out there in the secular world that benefited me coming into leadership in a church. Um, and they were, seemed to be moving in the same direction, starting off at the, the bottom of the ladder, so to speak, in the career field, and starting off at the bottom just helping around the church, not leaving anything. And it was interesting looking back that they just seemed to progress at the same time. And each one fed the other and helped me to grow. The career helped me to grow as a leader in ministry. And ministry helped me grow as a leader in the secular world. You know, I think we sometimes look at talent or capacity. Um, and we don't really know what to do with it. Um, is it fair to say even skills you develop in the secular world, that may be God's path for you and He's going to use it in some way. I mean, how should we think about um, what we would sometimes call a secular capacity or skill set? I, I think one thing we have to acknowledge is that God created you 
as an individual with all of the gifts and talents that you have. He gave them to you. Knowing who you are, knowing who you were, and knowing who he wants you to be. Think about it in ministry settings. You're not just a child of God or a child of the king when you're at church or when you're teaching a Bible study. You are a child of God and you're serving the role he created you to serve when you're at work, when you're at the grocery store, when you're at the gas station. Everywhere you're at, you need to be the person God needs you to be for the specific time and place that you're at. Sometimes it's super evident. You meet somebody and you're like, man, God put this person in front of me. They're talking to you and you're giving them, uh, leading them, telling them about Christ, telling them about your church, telling them about your testimony. Other times you're just being super kind and generous um, as a Christian should be. And you're impacting people that have no idea. You'll never have any clue what it meant to them for your light to shine at that particular time and that day for them. But when you're in the secular world, you can't look at it like secular and spiritual or church ministry and secular are two mutually exclusive things. They're just not. God didn't intend for it to be that way, and we shouldn't try to make it that way. You have gifts and talents that will be activated in secular careers. Most of you, if not all of you, will leave Bible college and work a job. It's just going to happen. You're not going to get away from that. I don't mean to interrupt, but I, I think that's like I felt this and maybe you felt yeah. this. And I think a lot of you will feel this if you don't already, that you're you went to Bible college to be a minister. And now I'm stuck in a secular job. And that's not always the case that maybe that's the will of God for you to be learning something, not just for those around you. But I think you appreciate the skills you gained there that you are now using in ministry. I think we sometimes miss the value of those seasons. Yeah. And what if that season doesn't end? Sure. Right? Why does it matter to you and bother you if where you end up, if where God wants you to be is not pastoring a large church? Or if where God wants you to be is not a missionary? Why does that bother you? You know why it bothers you? Because you're comparing yourselves to others. That's not, that's not how God works. God doesn't, to Him, every one of us bring great value for His kingdom and His purpose. But if we're in His will, then we're doing it the way He wants us to do it. And at the end, we all get the same prize. You're not judged based on someone else's calling. You're not judged on if you're pastoring. You're not judged on if you're an evangelist. You're judged on obedience. Let me tell you, the number one thing you need to be thinking, God, how do I obey what you have for me? Help me not to care what it looks like compared to somebody else's calling. Because I'll tell you now, Brother Brzezinski, I was absolutely in the will of God working for 20 years after Bible college in a secular role. I tried out at two churches for youth pastor because that's what you do when you leave Bible college, accepted at both of them and felt not good about either of them. So didn't go. So ended up at Calvary Tabernacle. Multiple phone calls over the years from people who love me and would say, why are you still there? I don't know why I'm still there, why I was still there. But I know I felt total peace about where God had me. I felt peace 
in the secular world in working at Calvary Tabernacle as a volunteer doing whatever we could do to benefit what the vision was of Pastor Mooney prior and Pastor Carson now, all the way up into the point two months before Pastor Carson asked me to fulfill this role, I was completely fulfilled in my, my duties. I was where I was supposed to be. That's the key to being sensitive to God. I was fulfilled until I wasn't. And when I wasn't, I immediately started seeking counsel. Pastor Carson, I don't know what's happening in my life. Me and Janae are not fulfilled. The career is awesome. The money's incredible. I get to be with my family. I work from home, travel the country, and I get to be effective in the church. Like everything seemed perfect. And then all of a sudden I wasn't fulfilled. And then it wasn't until God made this path clear, but I had to seek that. Okay, I'm not fulfilled. God, what are you doing? I figured out what he was doing. And now all of a sudden I'm in a totally different role, but I'm just as fulfilled. I'm not more fulfilled. Hear me. I'm not more fulfilled now as executive pastor of Calvary Tabernacle than I was business development manager for Zern. I'm not. As long as I'm in the will of God, and that's how you'll know it. Man, you got to find fulfillment in that. Yeah, I could I just, go all day, but yeah, I'll stop. I mean, I'll just make a comment. I think one of the things that you can observe from Pastor Lopez's life is he's given 110%, whether he's working at a janitorial supply company or as executive pastor of Calvary Tabernacle. And I think there's probably a lack of fulfillment that comes from your own half-hearted efforts. Oh, so true. Well but, said. But if you're giving your full and you're doing, you're not sabotaging yourself and then it's a spiritual, hey, there's no peace here anymore. I think that's what, there's a, there's a nuance there where you might just be unfulfilled because you're not giving it your best. So true. Because you're waiting on this to open up. Yeah. So um, I think that's one of the things you can learn from his life is grit, hard work, and not giving up wherever he was. So true. I'm not the smartest person, ninth grade dropout. Like, by far, not the smartest person. Here's something to think about, because I know you're going to want something biblical to, to chew on with this. Look at Acts 18, right? So you have Paul. And then you have him meeting Aquila and Priscilla. It does not say that they met because they were like-minded in their faith. It does not say that they connected because they both love Jesus Christ. I think it is intentional that the writer's making the point, Luke's making the point, that they met because they were of the same craft. They were tent makers. So I'm just wanting to tell you that Every aspect of your life matters. And so if it's career, if it's job, some of them will just be a job, some of it will be a career. Just know that God can open doors. That relationship blossomed, right? He worked with them. He mentored them. It's unclear if they were uh, full converts prior to him meeting them or after him meeting them. But then what do they do? They take Apollos, the seasoned guy, this eloquent speaker, and they pull him aside and they explain the gospel more fully to him, and then he goes and makes major impact. So it's do not belittle anything, any stage of life. Don't. God's doing something in it.
That's so good. Uh, one of the things that we talk about in this class is, is the process of becoming. And becoming something is harder than just doing something. And we're, we're all on that journey, becoming something that is better or different or more Christ-like than we were. Uh, but talk to us about that process for you, how important it is to get emotional stability or maybe it's anger issues or maybe it's uh, pride issues or just all these things in our heart. What does that journey look like? And what advice would you give to young ministers who are in this process? Yeah. You know, the first step is just acknowledging that you need it, right? Here's what I always tell myself or remind myself. Juan, what got you here will get you there. Like the foundation of acknowledging and having faith in Christ admitting that He is God, I am not, that I need His help if I'm going to accomplish anything of value in life. Like that's that first step where we're all like, yeah, they just repented of their sins and they're a new convert. And we've been through that process ourselves, and we're like, we're going to do things for God. And, and then we get, somehow we get further in ministry and we think that we still don't need that foundation. Like, like there's a different way to get things done now than there was then. I mean, who was it that said they die daily? It was our man Paul. Like every day he's still saying, I got to go back to the place where I realize that I probably messed up today. There is something that I could have done better. My pride got in the way. My, my attitude got in the way. My anger got in the way. And so, God, I'm admitting to you right now. If you can't admit you have things in you that are imperfect, man, you are really hindering God from being able to shape you. He wants to mold your life, but you got to understand, I'm broken. Man, I, you're broken on your best day, okay? Don't forget that. My goodness, we're people. We are flawed. We are broken. We are messed up. And every day, if you're going to do something for God, you're going to need His help to get it done or you won't get it done. Doesn't matter how smart you are, how good looking you are, your charisma, none of that stuff matters. I'm broken. God, I need you. And if you can walk that path, I'm going to tell you that's the same path that a drug addict has to walk. Somebody without the Holy Ghost. Their first step is admitting that they have a problem. Our first step is admitting, I, I, I have a problem. I'm human. I only get things done right when God helps me. So when you have pride issues, here's the thing you got to remember. Most people don't want to address their challenges because they allow themselves to feel like they're the only one that has them. Right? Listen, your brother standing next to you that's all smiley and cheesy at 7 a.m., your sister standing next to you that seems to do everything perfect, they're not. They're not doing it perfect. If they look that way, and they're working really hard to feel that way, right? It's like the duck on the pond, right? You see them just coasting. Everything's smooth. Tossing bread out there. Underneath the water, they're flapping like crazy. That's how it works for us in our walk with God. 
yeah, things should appear to be somewhat put together on the surface, but we can't ignore the fact that on the underneath and behind the scenes, we're working really, really hard to let God lead us and guide us, take away desires that shouldn't be there, and put things into our life that should be there. That's wonderful. Um, you know, we do have an 8 a.m. here on Tuesday, so there's not much people are hiding from each other. Mm. At 8 a.m., it's just oh, all. Oh, man. You, you just see, see how person. you see it all. Yeah. So no, no put-ons here, but <laughs> it's a great point. Um, insecurity is a huge one. I, it's kind of like the counterpart to pride. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe let's frame it like this. I know that everybody here is, I think students are getting more talented, so that's good for you. You're really talented. But everybody wrestles with insecurity and everybody wrestles with comparing themselves to people who are better than them at something. Mm -hmm. um, my, my vantage point on your life is you are okay with who you are and who you're not. And, and I think that's important yeah. for people to get. How does, talk to us about that, maybe just the, the differences and, and learning how to deal with who you're not. Yeah, you, you know, thank you for saying that. That is probably, I don't have many strengths. I feel like that is a strength that God has helped me with because my whole life prior to, to my encounter with Him was exactly the opposite. Um, I didn't joke around and have fun a lot in the neighborhood with the friends because I was afraid I'd embarrass myself or uh, even when I was leading in the scenario with like the neighborhood and, and, and the folks that were together there in that group, it, it, I found myself always leading them where I knew they wanted to go. Like, so I was like, it's a weird dynamic to be a leader, but you're not really leading them. You're just doing what you know they want to do. And so once I encountered the love of Christ, and I had that transformation, God made it clear to me that all of those insecurities needed to be put to rest if I was going to make it. Think about it. I was coming to Indiana Bible College right out of prison. I, had, I was living in work release. I had an anklet on my... I had to work around the school, and, and the only thing I could do to pay for school was cleaning up and picking up everybody else's trash and and, and man on the floor screaming so I could go up to the girls' dorm and clean up stuff up there and digging diapers out of the, the yeah, grass. I would have had a complex. So it was like, how was I yeah. going to make it if God, and that's why I think God helped me so quickly to see that had to be taken away. Like that you had to get rid of those insecurities because you're not going to look like everyone else, Juan. You're not going to fit in like everyone else. That's okay though, right? Because this was me. I needed to be grateful for where God had me because while I was 20 years behind you guys because I hadn't had a walk with God except for like 11 months, 12 months. Yeah, I get that. I was behind everyone else. But man, I was so far ahead of where I was. And I just had to be thankful for that and know that God wasn't stopping and he was going to continue to take me places. So when it comes to being comfortable for you, you really need to be comfortable for you. Now, that's not a license for you to be somebody that's like, I just speak my mind. No, if the words you say hurt people, then you need to check yourself. That's not speaking your mind. That's destructive. You can be direct with people and still be kind. You have to be. 
You can't fall outside of the fruit of the Spirit and think that I'm okay being who I am. That's not what we're saying. But we are saying that God made you unique and individual. You're not going to have the same gifts or talents as the person next to you. You're not going to serve in the same capacity as people around you. You just have to be comfortable in that. Let me tell you this. When you get comfortable in that, that's when God's like, I can do anything I want with this person. When you get to heaven, when we stand before him, all you're going to want to hear is well done. Thank you. Thank you for doing what I asked you to do as a servant. That's what you're going to want to hear. Nothing else will matter. Great job singing. Great job preaching. Great. No. Well done. Everything I asked you to do, no matter how small or how big, you were willing just to do. That's wonderful. That's, if that's the one thing that you get out of this class that's into your spirit, that's success. If you can live that principle, that is success. I, this is just a thought that came to my mind not too long ago. I was listening to a gentleman preach, articulate, smart, fantastic sermon, like younger than me. And I looked, I'm like, this is, this is my goodness. I wish I could put a thought together like that. And then I thought, you know, why shouldn't the body have people raised in church, great family, never backslid, faithful to God, educated? I thought, why shouldn't that be what a life lived for God produces? Why, why shouldn't there be people that talented who've done it right? There really should be, and we should celebrate that and not be intimidated in any way. No way. Uh, let's, let's move to a less, well, it's not a fun topic. Maybe it's a fun topic for you because um, how many of you all like conflict? Nobody, okay. You do? Okay. <laughs> Nobody really likes conflict, but I think Pastor Lopez might might enjoy conflict just a little bit. Um, <laughs> maybe it just looks that way, but how, it's, it's going to happen, yeah. right? So how do we deal with it? What is your maybe philosophy of how to approach and deal with conflict in the church? Yeah, so you, got, so you can view conflict a few ways, right? The, the one way that goes to everybody's mind is like this giant disagreement. Like it's something massive that people don't agree on, and so there's conflict. That happens, and you have to work through that. But I think what, what you're getting at and what is probably going to happen more times than not is just when you're working with people and, and, and you're not on the same page, you're not in agreement on something, or, or you've asked a team player to get something done and, and they didn't get it done and now you have to go talk to them about hey how come that didn't get done right or or even worse than that a leader has asked you to do something and you did exactly what you were asked to do and all of a sudden they're not happy with what was done and it wasn't really clearly communicated to you that you said this so conflict arises all the time I, I, what do you do as an executive pastor that's 95 percent of what I do every single day is work through these challenges where individuals have been offended, they're upset, um, something did get done well, how do you do better? So I don't enjoy conflict, but here's what I know. The only way people do better 
is if you show them they didn't do it right and then you help point them in the direction it should be done. And so we have to know that tough conversations when things feel like there's friction are for their good. And if you love people, what Ephesians 4, what's he talking about? He says you have to speak the truth in love, right? Something as critical and as important as the truth has to be spoken in love. So you can say it all you want, but if it's not birthed out of love, then you should just shut your mouth. And it flows into every aspect of truth. Bro, if I want you to do better and I want you to be successful, then I need to be willing to have the hard conversation out of love to say, hey, that didn't go like I thought. What happened? Here's what I was hoping. What could you have done different to get this outcome that we desired? Those conversations help build people. You wouldn't take a young kid who keeps saying two plus two is five and say, well, I don't want to devastate this little boy or little girl and tell them that they're doing the math problem incorrectly. No, you would correct them on the process to get two plus two four because it's foundational to the rest of the math they're going to learn throughout their education. And it's the same thing when we're dealing with people in conflict. I sat in my office the other day and I had multiple phone conversations that were very, very hard. Come out of the office, my wife was there and she could tell by the look on my face, she's just like, I'm sorry. And I said, I said, people, people are hard. People are tough. I said, but they're worth it. And that's what we have to remember. Taking on that responsibility and saying it's going to be hard. You think it was easy for, for Christ to outline in his book all the things that we're supposed to be doing? If we're going to be like him and help others, we have to be willing to talk to them, address it, not let it go, have the conversation. And even if you're not in leadership, what's it talk about? Have an ought with your brother, leaving your gift at the altar. Man, that is easier said than done but necessary if you're going to work together as the body of Christ. You know, I'm just, I'm thinking through the dual role. As a, as a pastor, you're caring for people's soul, and then as an organizational leader, something has to get done. And sometimes maybe confrontation is what love looks like. Are there times where you you intentionally don't confront for the sake of a soul or a relationship or is is conflict it's just the spirit in which you do it in <clears throat> it is very much the spirit in which you do it in no question but you also need to be wise um, in, in how you work with people so there are times Pastor Carson reminds me all the time we're in the soul business. At the end of the day, it's their soul that matters most. And so there are times when I could deal with something directly out of love and kind and it still not be the right thing to do. It's better to be hands off, give them a moment. You know, in pastoring, you know behind the scenes what people are dealing with. So everyone else sees what happened out here and they'll expect you to handle things in a certain way. But you have to know 
that you're not trying to please the crowd in this instant you're looking at this individual what's best for that individual so if it's addressing it in that moment address it uh, most of the time it's never in the moment never should be days later where you've had time to think and time to pray and for God to give you some guidance on how to talk to that person but even then sometimes it's like I don't ever address it directly um, and, and you give people some grace not all the time it's like has anybody seen the the conversation between the man and the woman and she's got the nail in her head <laughs> nobody oh my it will change your life on how you communicate when you get married but the the girl has her nail stuck in her head and this conversation's going on, and she's trying to explain to her husband all of these challenges. She's like, I don't understand why my sweaters keep having snags. And she's going through this, and he's looking at her, and he's looking at the nail, and you can see his eyes. He's thinking, what are you talking about, woman? Like, it's obvious it's the nail. And he tries to point that out, and she's like, there you are, always trying to fix it. Can't you just listen? And he said, okay. And he just listened. Now, the end of that story ends much funnier, but the truth and the reality of it is sometimes we just need to be there to support them, not to fix them. It's not always our job to fix them. You know, I think uh, I don't like receiving criticism. Probably nobody does. Mm -hmm. But in the conflict, if you're on the receiving end and you are being corrected, could you give us just a little bit about how to receive criticism? Yeah. Here's the way. Humbly. Just receive it humbly. I've received major critiques that were absolutely inaccurate. And you can get puffed up and try to battle against it. I said Pastor Mooney rebuked me one time. Absolutely incorrect. Somebody gave him false information and it came back to me. But I did not rebuttal it one bit. It wasn't a character attack. It was like, hey, like, why did you do this when we said it was supposed to be this? And I knew that that wasn't true because I was involved in setting it up. It was supposed to be this, and I followed exactly what I was told to do. But what I could learn from it is, is that Pastor Mooney just wants to make sure that when we set a plan together as a team, we stick to the plan. I can learn that lesson. He's not going to care 10 minutes later that I, he was just trying to help me and correct me. Here's what I tell Pastor Carson all the time, guys. And I know this is not easy. I realize it's not easy. And I realize I could be a little bit unique here. But I do know this. Everyone, no, no. Most people want to do their best. Most people want to do well. They just need to be told how to do it. And, and so I'm always inviting Pastor Carson. Like, I'm like, man, just tell me. Point it out. Talk to me. Like, bad preaching bad this went to I'm talking about stuff that would make some people cry like I need that I would cry I, <laughs> I long for that because I know if I can get that feedback then I can do better next time but if I don't know that you wasn't happy or that I didn't hit the mark then I'm going to keep missing the mark over and over and over again be willing desire so much for God to accomplish everything he designed you to, that you're willing to humble yourself and allow people to critique you. Not everybody, right? Because once again, it has to come in love. Gosh, I was only two weeks in when I got my first major critique from Pastor Carson. 
And, uh, and it was so easy to take it because it was so clear that he was doing it out of love. It's easier to do that way. If you get people berating you, you don't give them another second. Man, I will shut you down in a second if you come up with attitude, yelling at me, talking to me like that. No way. Because that ain't from God. You want to go pray about this, rethink that? We can have another conversation because I'll give you grace. But no way are you going to just sit here and talk down to me. You don't need people like that in your life at all. Get rid of them. But you do need people that are going to love you enough to help show you areas you can do better. Could we thank Pastor Lopez for being here? This has been wonderful. Good stuff. Fall Preview Weekend registration is open right now. It's open to the first 100 people who register. We are capping this event at 100 people, and registration closes October 15th. Check it out on the IBC website, indianabible.college. We hope to see you there. Good news to all the musicians and worship leaders who use multi-tracks. The Welcome Home album multi-tracks are now available on the IBC store. That was formerly voicevision.com. It is now the IBC store, accessible at store.indianabible.college. There are multi-tracks, chord charts from Welcome Home as well as previous albums. Check it all out at the IBC store.